This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Well, the world of big data has made its use in business a necessity, but believe it or not, there are still some business leaders who don't rely on data because they see their role as something different, connecting to the employees and the company. The new book, The Data-Driven Leaders, suggests that the type of approach like that can be costly to both executive and to the company if you don't follow the world of big data. Jenny Dearborn is the chief learning officer of SAP. She is also the author of the book, The Data-Driven Leader, a powerful approach to delivering measurable business impacts through people analytics. And Jenny's going to be joining us here in just a second to discuss the book. Uh, it is interesting in going through this book because of the fact that uh, it is a, a, a really a deep dive into a variety of things, not only the issues surrounding leaders in companies, but also the issues surrounding HR departments in companies. And one of the interesting things she talks about is the fact that this uh, data-driven philosophy that we are seeing more and more with companies around the uh, United States is going to be impactful not only on the company itself, but on the HR department and how an HR department actually sets up its operation. Uh, They believe that uh, one of the important things to worry about uh, is maybe adjusting the types of people that you have in that HR department to talk about uh, to talk about the fact that uh, you have uh, the ability to have a variety of different mindsets in there. Jenny Dearborn joining us now. Jenny, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Great to have you with us. Um, in, in reading up on this book a little bit, I guess to a degree you see this as a teaching tool for companies, but but also for HR departments too, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, it really is designed for um, executives across all the f- different functional areas, but especially for HR, because it's HR professionals who are supposed to be monitoring and coaching and encouraging the right behavior for leaders across the company. So what was it that that, that really drove this idea home for you, that, that data, I mean, obviously data is a big part of our lives, but when you think about how leadership and HR really work together, what is it that, that really links big data between the two? Well, it, historically, HR departments have been run by um, wonderful people who are great people, um, people people. They're great at uh, the human interaction. They're great at being empathetic. They're yeah. wonderful at um, caring deeply about how people feel and things like that. And that's fantastic. But really to uh, be a competitive differentiator moving forward, we need to kind of move beyond that. And we need to use all of the tools that are available to us in order to be more effective. And um Every other functional area in a business um, is using all of these resources available to them, all of the data and insights yeah. and um, it, all of this information. HR needs to use that, too, for their primary responsibility, which is to groom the leadership skills 
across the company. Well, and playing off of what you just said there, because of the fact that HR has traditionally been, to a degree, a a judgment uh, kind of uh, area of the company, we're looking at a potential mind shift, a mindset shift uh, in companies, in HR departments, to really account for the data, correct? Absolutely. And it really is uh, taking HR departments by surprise, um, which is part of the motivation for writing this book, is really trying to give my peers in other companies uh, the tools that they need to keep up and to be really effective. One of the pieces of research that I cite in the book um, is that in uh, 2016, for the very first time, um, more than 50% of the newly appointed CHROs, the head of the HR department, um, for the very first time, those if you were newly appointed into that role, you did not come from HR. So you... Right. Um, if you start in the bottom in HR and you think, oh, I'm going to just get, you know, with time, I'm going to get to that top job. Well, now more than 50 percent of the time, that's not going to be somebody who started at the bottom. Right. It's going right. to be somebody who was came laterally from the head of marketing or operations or sales or finance or pretty much anywhere. Right. But not HR. And the number one reason why is the lack of um, you know, expertise in data and analytics. So then you expect to see HR departments really uh, consider bringing in data-driven people into their operations uh, to, you know, to add something to the mix? Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that is the, the number one requested new uh, job for that, that, that all HR departments around the world are looking for. The top of their list is somebody who can drive the data and analytics for their department. So every HR department is looking for data scientists. Um, and so it's it's unusual to go to, uh, you know, a, a university recruiting event and say, hi, I'm in HR, and go to the data science department or the right. statistics department and say, hey, do you want to come to HR? You know, the undergrads are scratching their heads. But it really is the trend. Well, mo- most HR departments, I-, I guess it sounded like for a minute there, it's, it's kind of the old philosophy of if it's not broke, don't fix it, correct? True, but um, even if it's not glaring, if you know it's not glaringly broken now, it, you know you you are on this this precipice of change, right. and in order to keep up, you need to sort of force the change on yourself as an HR department um, before somebody comes, you know, from the outside and, right. and changes it for you, and that might be a little bit more painful. You talk about uh, about different roadblocks that that are there. What, what specifically? Uh, well, there's there's roadblocks for HR in terms of getting access to the data. Yeah. Um, well, it's uh, it's not just HR. It, there, there's there's roadblocks for anybody. Um, oftentimes, the internal data in an organization is kept in lots of different places, so it is not consolidated neatly. I've never known of any company where all the data is consolidated neatly. So you have. Um, sales data in the sales department, you've got um, uh, customer interaction data in uh, customer service, you've got, you know, productivity numbers all over the place, evenly distributed. Um, And, um, you know, it's really the coming together of all of this information Mm -hmm. is where the power is. 
And each of these groups is going to hold on to the data that they have because it's a sense of power for them. And they're concerned, well, if I give you this information, how are you going to use it right. to potentially make me look bad, make me look like I missed a trend or I accidentally you know, wasn't doing my job as, as well as I could have or should have. So there's a lot of fear and skepticism about, you know, giving over sort of raw data to a central group and say, sure, you know, triangulate this, put some algorithms on top, see what you come up with, let me know. And people are quite reluctant to, to share. I, I mean, obviously this is going to, as you said, this is going to have an impact on HR departments, but I would think that if it, if it's if it's kind of, not necessarily starting in the HR department, but obviously it's it's a, an important component to it. This type of data is going to start to affect decision making all up and down the chain, and probably I would think even up to the C-suite level. And, and I'm sure, and you kind of lay out the fact that there are there are you know corporate executives in companies that while they may have data that's available to them, they don't necessarily make every decision based on the data uh, the data points that are provided to them. That's that's absolutely correct. So um, in my hypothesis is that every company, really most companies, have all the data that they need. They just don't know how to use it. Right. They don't know how to uh, put it together. They don't know what questions to ask. They don't really know what they're looking for. So, you know, they, they know all the information about their employees. And you know, most companies have tons of information about their customers, about which accounts are more productive and which accounts are high margin and which accounts are, you know, a complete waste of time because of all the energy that you sink into it and the and the and the return just isn't there. Companies know this. They don't have the time or the discipline to take yeah. a step back and ask themselves tough questions and say, what are we doing here? What is our purpose? What are our goals? What are we trying to achieve? What is the best way to get there? What do we already know that will inform us to be able to make these decisions? Which, it's, which it's is challenging. Which is interesting because, I mean, every company has a business plan, you know, what they want to do, what their goals are for fiscal year or whatever. Uh, so, you know, to have companies out there that have all of this data at their fingertips and they don't really know what to do with it, which is a big problem, I think, across business, across society right now. That's that's a little uh, to a degree. I think it's disappointing to another degree. I think it's a little scary considering the fact that there's concern also by a lot of people, as you said before, about the use of the data and, and just the fact that it's out there. Right. Exactly. So there's there's significant concerns around data privacy and. um you know, and what are you going to do with this information and what is it going to, um, you know, what is it going to say about me, about my behavior, about my buying patterns, about who I am? How is this information going to reveal something that maybe I don't want to have revealed to my customers, to my employer? Um, so there's a lot of concerns about employers' rights in, in all of this. And some countries um, have very strong rules um, and, and regulations around data privacy, and other con- countries are, are um, you know, are less uh, restrictive. Um, so it really is kind of a wild west right now. And, and another, you know, strong theme that I have in the book and also in a lot of, you know, the speaking that I do is around the importance of diversity 
in the um, in the data scientists, in the people who are in the room with all this information, so that we can make sure that the questions that are being asked mm-hmm. of the data um, and you know the 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 decision makers of how artificial intelligence and machine learning is being used are really representative of a diverse perspective um, across society. You know, it does, it's not a too much of a leap beyond the use of data in corporations to say, how is data being used in society? Um, what is this information? How is the, How are companies using this information to target me with ads, right. target me with political messages, target, you know, um, you know, to try and manipulate me to buy a certain product, right? Um, there's a very sort of narrow uh, group of people who are making really powerful decisions using data, and it would be better for all of us in corporations and society if it was more open and more transparent around how the data is being used, um, what decisions are being made, um, and that that was a, a diverse group of people who were engaged in that decision making. For you as an executive, how, how do you think the, the understanding of, of all of this has changed you as, as, a, as an executive at SAP? Um, it has really made me uh, significantly more empathetic to the rights of um, everyday employees and everyday people, right? Um, you know, I, I started this journey um, wanting to get more information so that I could prove the value of the work that I was doing, right? So I was in charge of a huge department. We had a significant charter to go, you know, roll out learning and development in a corporation. And someone said, how do you know what you're doing actually matters? How do you know that what you're doing actually is making a difference? And I was like, you know what? You're right, that I'm going to go dig into data and information to get facts to support that what I'm doing is actually making a difference and making a positive contribution to my corporation. So that was the start of my journey. And the more I got into it, the more you say, wow, this is really powerful. And I have now insights into people's behavior, people's choices. Um, They're, you know, I can predict you know, if you're the more sophisticated your analysis are, the more you can start to predict the future. You can say, I believe this employee will be successful in the future. There is a 90 percent confidence rate that this particular employee will make quota at the end of the year. I believe this other leader will likely fail, you know, unless there is some sort of intervention. And so you extrapolate that out and you can start to predict um, behavior. And that's really powerful. And it's a wonderful tool for a corporation to make sure that they meet their revenue targets. Right. But it's also, you know, there's there's bigger implications for us, you know, as a society. And I'd love for us as, you know, um, as a group of humans <laughs> to be having this conversation to talk about what is the power of this? Uh, what do we want to do with this? How can we use this for good? How can we use this? Um, to make the world a better place and so, improve people's lives. So a better understanding of, of the people, not just as employees, but as human beings. And, and and we've talked about this on the show a little bit, is that uh, with the fact that, that uh, there are companies now, when they are doing projects, they are looking to 
have it more as a team-based uh, entity. They want to bring a variety of mindsets uh, into a particular project. Having that mindset, having that understanding of people not just as employees but as people outside the walls of the company ends up in the you know in the long term being a, a, a positive factor for getting work done in a more timely fashion, in a better fashion, and obviously then it helps the bottom line. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, there is uh, so much research to support the greater the diversity is of the people engaged in product development or decision-making, the better the outcome of that product or that decision. Um, so we really try to um, you know, I- encourage from the bottom up, K through 12, you know, education all the way through, get involved in computer science, get involved in statistics. You know, here's what the, the fun, interesting stuff that can come from understanding data and understanding analytics. And, you know, it is, it's really a joy to be able to serve, um, you know, a company, a population um, with these insights. And, uh, you know, this is something that we're trying to encourage engagement. Like I said before, when we, we go and do recruiting at college campuses, and we go to the, you know, statistics department or, you know, the data science department or, or engineering. And we say, wouldn't you like to come and be, work in human resources? These undergrads are scratching their heads a little bit. And we have to really sell this and say, like, this is cool. Like, this is the coming together of human behavior, human performance, yeah. you know, math and science. This is, you know, this is the, the nexus, right? This is the coolest place that you could be is, you know, is being able to predict the the future behavior of of employees so that they can be as successful um, and productive as as possible because that's what gives us joy as human resources professionals yeah. is to make our employees you know as successful as they can be and, um, in, and, ser- in service of the company. And, and I would think in the end, it also potentially helps retention of the employees, which is another concern that a lot of companies have. Uh, you know, the last thing that HR departments want to do is, is lose a variety of employees and then have to invest a whole lot of extra resources uh, to find that next person. Exactly. Exactly. When we started this journey several years ago, um, we tested it first in in sales. We ended up winning several industry awards for our um, our programs. But being able to um, say to a new hire sales rep, um, you know, with this program, I can, I'm not going to say guarantee, right. but I can you know I can make sure that you have all the tools that you need to be successful and to make quota. Do you want to make winner circles? Do you want to get go to President's Club and get that special trip to Hawaii? You know, stick with me and follow my guidance and you know, I can help you. I would stand in the front of the room at at sales um, boot camp, right. you know, 50 new hire sales reps every month and I would do the executive welcome at the front of the class and say there's people in the back of the room with clipboards and they're yeah. monitoring your behavior. Yeah. And, you know, we're following everything that you do. It's your choice. But just so you know, statistically speaking, you know, the people that come back on time from break are the ones that make quota. You can Je- do whatever you want. Jenny, so I'm just telling you that that's, that's statistically speaking. That's, that's what makes quota. Jenny, thanks very much for coming on the show today. All the best with the book. Thanks very much. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.